But we're kicking off a brand new series today called uh, Enough from Financially Frustrated to Generously Giving. And the question I want to kick us off with here is, is a pretty straightforward one. Uh, have you ever been frustrated with your finances? Have you ever come to a point where you've been frustrated with your finances? I think there's all kinds of situations that can land us in a point of frustration. One that came to mind for me right away is uh, when you save up for a project or you save up for something that you want to buy uh, and you have all these funds ready for and you're ready to go, um, maybe it's a new car to replace the one you trashed when you first met your wife, I don't know, but you got all these funds saved up and all of a sudden um, you have this moment where you're about to invest in a project that you want to do when another project chooses you. See, if you choose the project, it's fun. It's a hobby. It's something that you can enjoy. If the, if the project chooses you, it's a chore. It's a task that you have to deal with. We've experienced this in our home these past couple of weeks. We've had some uh, car issues with both of our vehicles, and um, we're trying to kind of do some of it ourselves, and so that just means it's, it's never a quick fix. Um, and so it's one of those things where, hey, I enjoy working on a vehicle when it's my choice to work on the vehicle, but when I have to do it, Okay, now all of a sudden that becomes frustration, especially when, when finances are tied to a piece of that. You know, you're saving up for something else, but now that has to be diverted to go towards repairs. That can lead to a frustrating situation. Maybe you feel like you've dug yourself into a hole so large that it doesn't matter what you do, that the hole just uh, consumes you. Maybe you feel like you're in a place where you know every day you live that you are still digging a hole and you want to stop. You're just not sure how to stop or what to do to reverse uh, the direction, to, to move to a place where you're filling in the hole instead of digging deeper. I had a buddy who at one point had his own uh, business, and he was just in some difficult times, some difficult situations, and we are talking about the business, and he said, Steve, honestly, I, I'm fairly certain that I'm paying to work each day. The expenses of, of his company were at a place where uh, the, the cost of it all uh, was greater than he could make in, in those days, in those weeks. And he's since you know, been able to make some changes and move forward. But there was a season where he felt like, it's costing me money just to go to work every day. And so I, I get it that f the finances can be frustrating. I think something else that we all bring to the table is a different understanding, a different degree of understanding when it comes to finances. Maybe you come from a home that, that had no problem talking openly about finances and your parents really showed you, hey, here, here's how we handle it, here's some pitfalls to watch out for. Um, but unfortunately, I think one of the more common stories that I hear is people growing up in homes where that wasn't part of the conversation. Even though money is this thing that we, we deal with on a daily basis, uh, the, there's too many stories where we raise our kids up and we send them out and we say, all right, go figure it out. Maybe we don't use those words specifically, but the fact that we haven't trained them, we haven't raised them up, and here's how we utilize finances, and here's uh, God's heart on finances, we haven't uh, offered that training enough. That in essence, that's what we're saying. Go and figure it out on your own. So maybe you come to the table with limited understanding about finances, and I, again, I could see how that would bring about frustration. Maybe you have limited training or understanding on God's heart regarding finances, Maybe you've been taught all kinds of different things from different places or self-taught, I'm not sure, but you're not quite sure. What is God's heart towards my finances? Or maybe you know what his heart is and you just don't like it. And any one of these things can lead to more frustration in our finances. We just finished a series called Redeeming Relationship, and the focus of this series was looking at if the gospel, which refers to the good news, if the good news of Jesus is true, if Jesus is God, 
And he laid down his life uh, as a sacrifice for our sins, for the mistakes that we've made, so that we can be uh, made perfect, that we trust in God, uh, uh, we trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. The Father sees uh, the righteousness of Jesus. Our, our sins are washed away from us. Uh, if we believe that to be true, that should have an impact on our relationships. And we walk through five weeks of different relationships and, and what that would look like. But re- the reality of it is, is we can even go broader than that. I mean, if, if we truly believe the gospel, we truly believe that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, that should have an impact on every aspect of our lives which goes beyond our relationships to even include our finances. And so one of the questions we can ask is, is how does the gospel impact our finances? Because of what we believe about Jesus, how does that impact my finances? Even as a church, as I've I've kind of looked back and reflected on this, we've kind of had limited teaching on God's heart towards finances. And it's something that we're seeking to remedy in this series. And one of the main reasons behind this um, is because we want you to know this. We desire something for you, not from you. We desire something for you. Depending on your background and and your church experience, you may come into this this conversation here this morning with all kinds of frustration already, all kinds of baggage. I feel like, hey, I've I've been at places where, man, they were just all after your money. Or maybe you come in uh, on the complete other opposite side of that. Uh, But I want to make my heart clear in this. The reason that we're passionate about, about sharing God's word, and specifically when it comes to finances as well, it's because we desire something, not from you, but for you. So I believe when we, under, when we understand God's heart towards finances and we apply that to our daily life and we do our best to live that out, there's all these different things that we experience. We experience the, the, the blessing of provision in our daily life where our needs are met despite what's happening in the, in the world around us. I believe there's joy that can come through generosity. That's what we're going to be looking at here, specifically here this morning. But there's all these different things uh, that we experience when we handle our finances God's way. All these blessings that we have, being united in in this work of God in this world. And that's what I want for you. I I can look back at my own life and see all these different moments where, man, when I trust God with my finances, um, I, I don't regret that. I don't look back in those moments and say, man, I wish I had all those funds back. Even if I'm standing in front, in front of something that I'm full-on coveting. I, I, I don't know what, what kind of gets to you where you're like, man, you know, I was fine, I was happy, but then I saw this, and now I want more. For me, I, I enjoy Jeeps. I've had a few Jeeps in my day, and I got one sitting in my driveway right now that I'm, I'm fighting with. We're, you know, we're not the best of terms, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll work through it. Uh, but we're fighting with it, and, and I, I had a CJ, one of those ones that, you know, I wasn't aiming to have it be this big lifted thing, but it kind of became that. I got a good deal on 35-inch tires, and of course, you got to go with that. And um, Man, so even if I look at this moment, say I got a, this, like a cherry Jeep sitting in front, like, man, maybe, maybe I could buy that. You know, if I wouldn't have given all this money here, if I wouldn't have given all this money to God, if I wouldn't have given that, I could buy this. I could have two of them. I could have, you know, 36-inch tires. I've never felt myself at that point because I've been so blessed by how God has played out in my life, how God has worked in my life when I've trusted him with my finances. And I truly desire that for each one of you. And so I can't say this enough. We're covering this topic not because we want anything from you, but because we want all kinds of things for you. We've taught some on finances uh, during different ca- capital campaigns that we've done. Uh, you came in this morning on a parking lot, not on a mud pit. Um, if you're newer to Meadowland, uh, that is a fairly new addition for us, that parking lot. Uh, a day like today specifically uh, would have 
kind of d- decreased numbers. We've had people who would drive in the parking lot before it was a parking lot and was just kind of mud and gravel and drive right back out. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going not gonna to go today. Um, we've had people say, you know what, I'll see you in a few months when, when the weather kind of evens out and we don't, we're not dealing with this mud. We've, we've seen those stories. And so uh, many, many of you as well gathered together and say, we want to remedy this. We want to remove any obstacle that keeps people from hearing the gospel, from hearing the good news of Jesus. And, and sacrifices were made and people gave. About a year ago, we said, hey, there's some additional uh, things we're going to try to do. as part, Not much additional, but there's uh, additional funds we're trying to bring in. Uh, we had uh, approved a loan that we could get with the church, and uh, we haven't had to touch that yet. Now, that's a huge praise God right there. And one of the reasons for that is we said, hey, would you, be, uh, would you consider not only a one-time donation, would you consider giving uh, over the next year? And if you've been giving over this past year, first off, thank you. Thank you for giving. It's making a difference. Uh, as we are in process of resolving a, an issue with a utility line through our entrance, um, as soon as that's resolved, we'll be um, hopefully this season still uh, be finishing up uh, the last lift of, of, of asphalt. And so this, if you didn't realize, there actually is a, a touch more to do in the parking lot. Uh, we've got to straighten out the entrance and then the last lift of asphalt. Um, but thank you for those who have given to that over this past year. If you've been giving to that, we can call it Unleash the Vision. Uh, if you've been giving to that over the past year, we're actually going to, that, that, that year has come to a close. And so again, hear me when I say thank you. Uh, then we'd ask if, if you, you want to continue in that, that you would move that towards um, just the general fund. So we've taught some on finances during those capital campaigns. Uh, we've taught some here and there on Sunday mornings. Uh, you know, maybe one week out of a series, we'll talk about finances here and there. Uh, but this is something that we should be talking about. The Old Testament teaches on money. Jesus taught on money. The New Testament, as we look at uh, the early church and, and how they live, there's teachings on money. Do you know that Jesus spoke on money more than he did on heaven or hell or love? So why is that? Is money that important? Well, I don't think it's so much money itself, but what money reveals. See, money reveals our heart. If you want to know where someone's heart is, you, you can talk about where they spend their money. And you can very quickly see, okay, that's where your heart is. I mean, think about it. We all have that one friend who, who is crazy about fill-in-the-blank. Man, th- this guy just loves to fish. Man, this guy just loves hockey. Man, this guy just loves to cook, or at least to eat. I'm not sure. But you can see where people are passionate based on of where they're putting their funds. Money reveals a little bit about our heart. And not only does money reveal our heart, it also transforms our heart. If you are here with us a while back, we were walking through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. We, we, we talked about how Matthew 6.21 tells us this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's not the other way around. It's not, hey, here's what your, where your heart is, and so that's where your money's going to go. But hey, it, where your money's at, that's where your heart's going to follow. And so if there's something that you want to be passionate about that you're not right now, that you feel like, hey, here's something I feel like I need to be more passionate about that I'm not, hey, put your money there. And then your heart will grow for whatever that is. And so we see that our money reveals our heart, but it also can transform our heart. And so this is important stuff, and that's one of the reasons why it's taught about so much in Scripture. And that's one of the reasons that we want to teach it here. We also realize as we're looking back over when we've taught about finances, it's been about over five years since we did a class like Crown Financial. Since we did an in-depth study on, and let's, you know, Digging even further, what does God's word say? Let's memorize scripture. Uh, let, let's see what it uh, is calling us to in our, in our own finances. And let's really kind of get some tools about how to handle our finances in a way that honors God. 
And so I would really encourage you to consider being a part of this Bible study. It's going to be on Mondays, June 19th, as Betsy said. And it's open to all, regardless of your background, of your prior knowledge, of your experience with finances. It's, it's open to all, regardless of your, of your beliefs on Jesus. If you're still checking out who Jesus is and what, what we're all about as a church, you're not sure you, you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior yet, you are more than welcome to come and be a part of this. Yes, we're going to be looking at God's heart on finances, and, and we're pretty open about that. But there's going to be some things I believe if you apply these in your finances, it's going to bring about your blessing and the blessing of those around you. And that's what we desire for you. So that's going to be starting on June 19th. If you can't make Mondays on this first run throughout the summer, um, we are going to try to offer it again in the fall. Uh, the cost for the, the, this first run is $30 per family. And so if you come on your own, it'll be $30. Uh, if you're married and you come with your spouse, it'll be $30. And then in the fall, it'll be $30 per person. And that's simply to cover uh, the cost of materials. We have some uh, left over that we can uh, use to keep costs down on this first run. Um, the one thing I'll say is this. If you are married, if you are in a very serious relationship and moving towards marriage, uh, if you are in a joint situation when it comes to your finances and one of you is excited about going to this class, please, if you're the other, go with them. Make every effort to go as a couple. Make every effort to go. Don't just say, hey, why don't you go and come back and tell me what you learned because it's going to be so much more difficult to, uh, to apply all that you're learning if you're both not on the same page. And so make sure that if, if you're married, if you're in a relationship, go together. Do this as a couple. Commit to this. And, and you know what? Line up a babysitter for those 10 weeks if you got kids um, and just dig in and just really go after it. So that's all the different things that we're, we're trying to remedy that we realize we haven't taught all that well on finances over the past couple years. And so one of the big reasons we're doing it now. So this series is about wanting to move from a place of frustration with our finances to generosity and giving. And this phrase, enough, can, you know, depending on how you say it, it kind of have a different connotation, right? In one sense, it can be like, just enough, I'm just done with it. Can we, can we just go back to the barter system? I'm just done dealing with money. We've just had enough. We also want to move people to a place where they realize that, one, we have enough in God. We have all that we need. And if we can realize that, how that brings about a place where we're able to be a blessing on others to where those who are around us are overwhelmed. Well, they're saying, hey, enough. I, I can't take any more of your generosity. I mean, I, I'm still trying to uh, get my head around the last time you were generous in my life. You know, uh, and kind of this, this, where we can flip this on its head, where we go from overwhelmed by frustration to overwhelmed by the blessing we can bestow on others and then the, the blessing we experience as we live lives of generosity. If you've got your Bibles with you here this morning, go ahead and open up the 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It'll be on the screen as well when we work through it. If you need a Bible, you can take any one in the pew and, and call it your own. Put your name on it. Take notes on it. Uh, highlight things. If you know someone who needs one, same deal. If you want to go digital, uh, there's free Wi-Fi if you need to download one. version, Y-O-U version, is one that we highly recommend. Uh, it's got some great features on it. You can download that. Uh, whatever it takes to get the Word of God in front of you, uh, I, we, we, we encourage just that. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we're actually going to be for the majority of these next five weeks. I encourage you to take it home, read it, and spend some time in it and kind of prep for the weeks coming up. And you're going to see a story from the early church about some amazing generosity and how this generosity led to blessing. As you work through this uh, passage each week, we're going to learn financial fundamentals as we fight to be free from financial frustration. So there's going to be some fundamentals that we can learn in this. And, and really, that's <coughs> excuse me, 
the Crown Financial class, where that comes in, is wanting to kind of expand on those fundamentals for God's heart towards finances as we seek God's heart and want to align our heart with his. So here's what I ask. Would you walk into this series with, with open hands with me? What I mean by that is if you have your life before you, uh, there's things that we can close our hands around and say, no, I'm not changing on that, I'm not budging. Just maybe, can we walk into this series with open hands and say, you know what, there might be some things I have to learn about God's heart. There might be some things that I I need to conform to or reform. There might be some course directions that I need to correct. There may be, for some of us, some things where we need to flat out repent where we've been putting our funds towards sinful things, towards things that take us away from God. But can we walk into this series with that kind of a heart, a soft heart, saying, God, help me to see your heart for finances, and then to chase and follow after that. So the context here of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is, uh, so Paul has helped plant the Corinthian church. And he's got all these different correspondence he's sending back to them, and uh, they started strong. I mean, things were just going great. All these different ways they were excelling. You actually see that in verse 7. It says this, But as you excel in everything, this is Paul speaking to the church, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in all our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. And as we're going to find out, we'll put this verse in its context, that act of grace he's referring to is generosity, is giving. So saying, hey, here's all these ways that we know you guys rock it. But let's also make sure that you continue to, to excel in this act of grace, this act of giving. See, they needed some correction on things. And I, I can relate to this. You know, we get this drift where if we don't address certain things in our life for a while, we can look back and say, oh, oh I, I've drifted off course a little bit. If you're in a ship going on a cruise somewhere and you never stop to check to say, hey, am I still going the right direction? You may find that over time you've drifted. It doesn't take a lot. It really doesn't take a lot. If you're just off, if you look on the horizon, if you're out in a big lake on a boat, you look out over the horizon, and you just, you're off by a little bit of where you want your destination to go. As you go over time, that's going to move you further and further away from where you want to be. And so we need to have these moments of, of course corrections, moments of correction. And that, that was the same in the church in Corinth. And Paul saying, hey, let's, let's get back on track because you guys were rocking it when you first found Christ. The church was growing and people were, 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 were living, changed lives. We see that here in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. So Paul's kind of prepping. Hey, I'm going to be coming, and there's this offering they're taking for uh, the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem has grown as well, and there's all kinds of needs that they're finding there. And so uh, trying to help each other out, Paul's taking up this collection for the, the, the Christians in Jerusalem. And so, okay, so every week, set aside some so that when I come, we don't have to have this big collection. It's already there, you know, kind of like how we gave over this past year, a little bit each week to the, unleash the vision. Now we have more to be able to go and finish it up without having to dig into any kind of loan. In the same way, said, hey, okay, put a little bit aside. You guys can do this. He's prepping them for that. The Corinthians have been taught, uh, and they responded initially, but they lost sight of this over time. And so we're going to get here to a story in, in chapter 8, verse 1. Paul's trying to kind of help get them back on course. And he's sharing the story of the Macedonian churches. These are some other churches that, that he helped establish, that he helped, that he helped to, to plant and to build. And basically what happened is he would come into one city. Uh, 
in Macedonia, you get the Thessalonica, you get Philippi, uh, Berea. He'd, he'd come into one city, he'd share the gospel, he'd establish a church. And then as the church was growing, there, there was always opposition. There are some that didn't like it. Either it, it, it went against their religious beliefs and they said, no, this is blasphemy, we've got to shut it down. Or all kinds of different reasons why people uh, uh, opposed the church. And it got to a point where it was unsafe for Paul to be there. And the leaders that he built up would say to him, Paul, we love you. We got this. Why don't you go? You don't, we don't need you here anymore. We'll continue the work that you started. So he'd go on to the next city and repeat. And sure enough, as the church was growing, there was more adversity. And the same story played itself out where he, they said, hey, we got this, Paul. We'll continue the work. Why don't you go on to the next city? And this adversity seemed to follow him. But so he has all these churches in, in, in Macedonia that he's helped to start. And he tells this story here. Chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. That's in reference to the offering. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. I want you to know the focus of, of Paul's story, the reason he's sharing this, is focusing on the grace of God. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So everything we're going to see about what's happening in Macedonia is because they've received the grace of God and it's had an impact on them. They've given their life to Jesus and it's changed who they are. It's changed how they live. It's changed what they do. Try to put yourselves in their shoes real quick here. The Macedonian church is experiencing severe affliction. Severe affliction. How would you respond? Think about it. Think about the worst affliction you've ever gone through and try to make it worse in your mind. What emotions would, would, did you have? Would you have? How would you respond to that? Sorrow? Anger? Hopelessness, maybe? You know how they replied? An abundance of joy. If I see that in someone else, where they're just going through some of the most challenging things, and you see joy on their face, a genuine joy, not just happiness, where like, hey, I got an extra cookie with my lunch today, but joy... <laughs> This internal sense of joy, you see that, you're like, man, I, I want that. There's a family in our church, I, I, don't, I hope they don't mind me sharing this. Uh, first of all, if you've been to Meadowland, which you are obviously here, uh, you probably know Carol. If you felt loved by Meadowland, you know Carol. I mean, she leads our, our greeting team and does a phenomenal job welcoming people and helping people feel loved. That's really our heart. Well, her husband um, had, had uh, uh, quadruple bypass surgery. And so he's already come out of it. Mike's home now and uh, been, been just healing in amazing ways. And I got a chance to go visit him after the surgery. And, and if I didn't, except for the fact that I knew he just had quadruple bypass surgery, I would have never guessed it. The joy this man has. And the joy that Carol has as she's walking alongside being this rock for him. That, that their trust is in the Lord. And so they can go through these challenging times because of God in their life. And that's the same for this church in Macedonia. Despite severe affliction, there's an abundance of joy. In addition, and it's not bad enough, the Macedonian church is experiencing extreme poverty. I mean, one thing is that they're in poverty, but then there's an extra adjective there. Extreme poverty. 
how would you respond? What actions would you take? Try to think at a point in your life where you've been without, where you, you, know, you weren't sure where the next meal was coming from, or maybe uh, how to pay the bills that were coming in. And if you've never been there, do your best to try to think, what would I do if I, if I was in extreme poverty? I didn't have what was needed to care for my kids financially. How would you respond? I think in one way we might want to hoard what little we do have, right? Well, I don't have much, and so I've got to hold on to all of it and, and put it to use for my family. Maybe we come to a place where we have to swallow our pride and beg for help. Maybe we come tight-fisted with things because, hey, we don't have much. But that's not at all what you see in the Macedonian church. They overflowed with a wealth of generosity. I don't, know about, I don't know about you, but just that right there, once I see their situation, I'm intrigued. I want to know more. Tell me about these people who are severely afflicted and extreme poverty, who are full of joy and can give an abundance of generosity. I want to know what they know. Man, I want that for my life. While their situation was difficult, their solution is one I think is desirable. And the solution we see, it all comes back to the grace of God. They were changed by the grace of God. They were motivated to give by the grace of God. Because of all that they received from Jesus, they were generous with all that they had. Because of all that God had given them, they were able to give freely to others. What did they receive in Jesus? The same thing that we receive today. The same thing we receive when we trust in him. Forgiveness of sin. It's a price we're unable to pay. An inheritance of eternity in paradise with our creator. A purpose in life as we live out the mission of God to make disciples, to love God, to love others. They received, and we received, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which is something else we should probably be teaching on in the not-too-distant future. I can't think the last time we had a, a series or a message on the Holy Spirit and his role in our life. One member of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit our counselor, our comforter, our encourager. Before Jesus, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit wasn't the norm, it was the exception. They were given, they received a restored relationship with God. God Almighty, who loves us dearly, we received the same. This is all that they had received. No affliction or poverty or trial or challenge or frustration could take any of this away, but because of the grace they received, in God, they had joy and generosity. So if you've had enough, if you had enough with the frustration of your finances, I encourage you to turn to the joy that's found in the grace of God. This generosity that comes through grace. This generosity that comes through grace. They had much to give. It wasn't their worldly possessions that led them to this place, right? Because they didn't have any. They didn't have much. You can't say, hey, they could give because they had a lot. It doesn't work here. They could give because they received a lot but in the grace of God. John 3.16 has taken on uh, just a, a greater depth for me in these recent months. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, let me read it to you real quick here. Uh, 3.16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should, should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but or that the world might be saved through him. Jesus was sent to save us. He was sent to give us eternal life. And we see God's love motivates him to give. And he gave his all when he gave his son. And so what a natural response for those who have been changed by the grace of God to want to give all of themselves, to want to give to God. See, grace is this unmerited favor. It's, it's, we didn't do anything to earn it. It's just something that's a gift that's been given that we can receive. And so if you haven't already, I invite you to receive the grace of God. 
Receiving the grace of God is basically saying, hey, God, I, I know that I've sinned. I know that my mistakes in one way or another have separated me from you, and there's nothing I can do to, to take care of that. This is, this is the, the, the leveling, the, this is what levels the playing field. The fact that we've all sinned in some way or another, right? And that separates us from God. And so when we receive the grace of God, this truth that he sent his son Jesus as a sacrifice to pay for our sins, those sins, like I said before, are removed from us. And all of a sudden, when God looks at us, he sees the perfection of Jesus because the price of our sins, past, present, and future, is paid in full when we trust in Jesus, when we receive that gift of grace. So first, if you want to respond to God's grace, confess and believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And then receive the blessings of surrendering your life over to him. One of the first ones here we're talking about being joy. One of the things I encourage you to do, though, is while there's a promise for our needs to be met, there's also a promise for opposition. And so don't lone ranger it. Don't try to go it alone. That is so contrary to what Scripture calls us to. It's so contrary to God's heart. But we are called to be a part of a church family. Not only the big C capital church, uh, all Christians, all time, all places, but the little C church the local body of believers, the family that we have here that can celebrate together, that can mourn together, that can pray together. So as you respond to God's grace, receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, receive the blessings that when you surrender your life over to him and connect into the family of God. Because generosity is an act of grace from ones who have received amazing grace. So if you want to be generous, that's where it starts. So the question here we're going to kind of close up here with is how did they go about giving? What does this giving look like? So if, if giving is this act of grace, what does it look like? What does it look like to be generous? So verses three through five. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So we see first off that generosity gives beyond our excess. It says, yes, they gave according to their means. And what we're going to talk about this in future weeks, the way this is talking about is this call for equal sacrifice, not equal amounts. And so if you're sitting here saying, hey, I don't have much to give, and someone next to me, that they can give a whole lot more, the amount isn't the concern. It's the heart of sacrifice that is. And so it says that they gave according to their means, so that everyone gave some, but also it goes above and beyond this is that they gave beyond their means, beyond their means. If you're intrigued by this, given according to their means, we're going to cover it more in, in future weeks. A lot of it comes down to this, this trust, this ability to recognize that all that we have comes from God. See, if my trust is weak, I, I, I hoard. If my trust is weak, I rely on myself. And I'll only give what I have that's excess. Because you know, I'm, I'm trusted in myself. But if our trust is solid in God, we're able to be generous with so much more. Uh, my wife did a, a mission trip. I've shared this story before because I think it's such a beautiful story uh, where they were on a mission trip in Haiti and they're on this bus in the middle of a jungle uh, on top of a mountain. Fun stuff, trying to get to the other side of the mountain and the bus broke down. And this is you know, in the early 2000s, so before cell phones were everywhere. And even if they had cell phones, they're in Haiti and, and they wouldn't have access to cell phone towers to make those cell phones work. And uh, so this bus breaks down and, and all the, the team that came over to be part of this mission trip we're kind of internally freaking out a little bit. What do we do? How are we going to get back? How do we get down off this mountain? And they had a bus full of orphans that they're, they're ministering to. Um, and these orphans instantly 
start praying. That was their gut reaction, their go-to step before anything else was to pray that, that God would provide. And sure enough, something that does not happen in these kind of situations very often is the next vehicle to come up this mountain jungle pass was a service truck that was able to get them back on the road and, and back going again. Now, some of you may say, well, that's just coincidence. But I see time and time again how God's timing is the miracle as he works through what he's already established in this world. He's already built a world of people who love him and follow him and a world that's set up the way that it is. And then he works in that and his timing. You can try to, you know, one example of that is um, when, when the Israelites are crossing the Red Sea and um, you, there's some scientists who've tried to explain how they would have done that and how a big wind could have actually caused dry land to happen. And they, they say, see, so it's not God, it's just coincidence. Well, the timing of it was perfect. And that's where I see the miracles. God works within his own creation. And so giving, uh, according to our means, it has to do with trust, but they also said they, they gave beyond their means beyond what was physically available. This isn't like one of those loaves and fishes stories, if you're familiar with that, where uh, Jesus takes a a small boy's lunch and and feeds thousands. This isn't one of those scenarios. This is saying, hey, here's what we have that we need for ourselves, and and here's we we can, you know, we give beyond that. But hey, we're going to do more than access, because honestly we don't have access, so we're going to give what we don't have to give. There's some things we're going to do that we're going to go without, we're going to go out with some things. We're going to make sacrifices so that we can give is basically what it's saying here. Christians in poverty went without even more so that they could give. And this catches Paul off guard. He says that they gave above their means, not as we expected. We didn't expect this. We were just asking everyone to chip in so that we could meet the needs of those who are in this situation. But hey, we know your situation too. So we, we didn't expect much, and yet you blew us away and gave so much more. So when we find our identity in God, we don't need to find it in things. It's easier to go without things when we know that, hey, these aren't the things that define us. It's not uh, having the latest and greatest uh, things that define our worth, having the biggest and most toys or electronics or sports gears, uh, sports gear, whatever it is that, that you're into. Um, having the, the most expensive clothes and the fanciest items uh, is not where we find our beauty, but our beauty is found in being a creation of God. Our status isn't found in having the biggest and the best homes or cars, but it's found in who God says we are. See, when we find our identity in him, we don't need to find it in our things, and it helps us to be able to surrender and go without, to sacrifice and to live generously. See, there's a phrase out there, he who dies with the most toys still dies. But we can also say he who dies knowing Jesus will live forever. And we can give in a way that helps to further that, that mission of helping people know the gospel, helping people come to hear about the good news of Jesus. So generosity gives beyond our excess. Something else we see here in these passages, that generosity gives first to God and gives all to God. Verse 8, I'm sorry, verse 5, the second half. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. How much of what you have today is yours? I think we'd say, well, this is my shirt, this is my phone, this is my wallet, this is my wife, my husband. You know, and that is biblical. We, we're each other's. It's not one-sided in there. Um, I think there's things we call mine, we call ours, but it's really not, right? Where did you get the ability to learn all that you know? So well, I, I work hard and I've, I've earned money. Where did you even get the ability to do that? 
Where did the body come from that you have? Well, I put hard work in. Yes, and that, that's commendable. Those are, those are God-honoring things to work hard, to take what he's given us and use it in a way that, that can bless others, that can care for our family and, and live out our responsibilities and also live generously. Those are all God-honoring and good things. But at the core of it all, all that we have is from him. Even where we live in history, the opportunities that are before us are from him. He's set it up the way he has. Imagine you're in a sandcastle competition with God. Anybody like to build sandcastles? Imagine you're in a sandcastle comp- competition with God. I'll, I'll even give you one more. You are the best sandcastle maker known to man. No one's ever topped you. So you, you're going up against God with, with one of those. It's kind of it's like a, a devil goes down to Georgia kind of situation, right? You're going to play your fiddle against the devil. But in this case, you're going to build a sandcastle against God. But to really be honest about who's got the best ability to make the best sandcastle, God says, okay, I'm in. We'll have this competition. Bring your own sand. Right there, that, that for me at least, confirmed that all things are God's. I, I, I can't say, man, look what I've done, because even the sand that I bring to build that castle out of is made by God. Until I can speak things into an existence, I can't say that anything is truly, ultimately mine. My, my responsibility is to be a good steward of that, and that, that also is something we're going to cover in future weeks, about being a good steward of what God's given us. So because Jesus has given his all to us, because all that we have is from God, our response to him is to give our all. This means when we, when we give our all to God, it means we live and give according to his will. We live in a way that's pursuing God, that's trying to know more about who he is, and then we live accordingly. We want to follow God in a way, and we want to give in a way that acknowledges that it's all from him. We see in Proverbs chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 5, we talk, it talks about just trusting in God. And I want you to see that the, the very next thing that, that's brought up here after trusting in God. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make, your, make straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So it's called to trust in God for all things. And the very next thought here, verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. So if we're going to trust in God, one of the key steps to that is honoring God with our wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. See there, there's not a a one-for-one promise. There's not an interest rate promise where if you give God five bucks, he'll give you 50. That's not what this is saying. It's saying as we trust God with our finances, as we honor him with our wealth, and a piece of that is giving first to God of all that we have. When that happens, our provisions are met. Our storehouses are full. We have what we need. What a beautiful promise. Generosity gives first to God and then gives all to God. I think sometimes we, we, we handle giving this way. We take what we need for ourselves and our own responsibilities, then if we have anything left over, what we have left over, okay, what can I give away from here? The scripture calls to first and foremost say the first place my money goes is I give it to God. And we're going to be unpacking that more and more over this series, what that looks like. And how do we give to God? Um, if it's all his anyway, what does that look like? But the first step is giving to him of our finances, and giving to him of our, ourselves, all of us. Generosity gives first to God, gives all to God. One last thought here to close with. Generosity is motivated by the realization that we have enough in God. This is a challenging one for us here, especially in the States. It's easy to never feel like we have enough. 
right? Maybe you saved up for that treat, whatever it was. You know, I, I, could, I could see a, a day where Betsy comes home to a brand new van in her driveway because Greg still owes her one, no pressure. And you get that new whatever it is. And sure enough, without fail, you see the newer one driving down the street or the, someone else has the newer, the new features you could have had. And there's always this temptation that oh, I'm never satisfied. When is enough enough? Things will not satisfy that. Only God can. Only God will ultimately satisfy it. So generosity is motivated by the realization that we have all that we need in God. We have all that we need in Him. So the question I want to leave with you this morning is what motivates your giving? So whatever, motiva- whatever giving you, you've been doing up until this point in your life, what's been the motivation for that? Do you give out of a sense of obligation? Well, I was just taught this is what I'm supposed to do. Or out of a, a religious expectation. Well, the church has always asked for my money, so I guess I'm just supposed to. Has that been your motivation for giving? If that's been the case, allow me to, to shift it into a new place, into a new consideration. I don't think God's calling us to simply give out of obligation or out of some kind of religious expectation. Does it honor God when we're obedient to his word and we give? Yes, it is. But he calls us to be more engaged in our giving than that. What's interesting, if you look in this passage that we just went through, verses 1 through 5, um, the only begging that took place isn't Paul begging for money. It was those who've been affected by the grace of God begging to participate in serving others. Did you catch that in verse 4 and 5? Those who have very little, almost nothing, and are in severe affliction are begging to participate. Hey, no, no, we, we know we don't have much, but we want to give. We want to be generous to this. We want to participate. We want to be united with other brothers and sisters in Christ. We want to serve and meet the needs of others. Man, what a beautiful picture. So if obligation or expectation is your main motivation, I encourage you to, to shift that a little bit. Is guilt... Or trying to earn the favor of God, your motivation. Feeling like, man, you know, I've messed up things. And so if I, if I give, you know, I'll kind of smooth things over between me and God. First hear this, you are so dearly loved. You are so dearly loved. God is not a God of holding grudges. He is a God who loves and pursues his children. If we've sinned against God, there is forgiveness found at the cross God does not call us to give out of guilt. He does not call us to give in a way that we can earn his favor. Well, hey, God, did you see how much I gave last week? Huh? 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 Did did you? No. We're not called to earn his favor because, honestly, what we forget to see, what we don't realize, we already have it. Let that sink in for a minute. Church, we have the favor of the Almighty God. Do you want proof? Look at the cross. Our creator who made us and put us in perfection in the garden and watched us screw it up, made a way for us to be in relationship with him at the cost of his son Jesus. Why? Because he loves us. Because we have his favor. So we don't need to be motivated to give to try to earn the favor of God because we've already got it. And so what should our motivation be? Our motivation to begin with the fact and the realization that we have all we need in him. He is enough. He has shown us such grace. And from that position, we can be under severe affliction and extreme poverty and be full of joy and living a life of generosity. 
while we don't choose the first willingly, the latter is what my prayer is for you, for each one of us, that we would live in such a way that you receive that joy and generosity. We're going to close out this morning here by responding in worship. And giving is an act of worship as well. I know it happens at a moment in our, our service, but it really is, it should be the pattern of our lives, that we live a life of giving, not only in our finances, but in our, of ourselves. Um, but I want to leave you two things here real quick. One, just to reinforce that we don't want anything from you. God has and will always provide for the needs uh, of his people through his people. And so I trust that, that the God's going to continue to meet our needs. And we've always said here at Meadowland that we'll do as much ministry as we can afford. And God's going to show himself faithful in that. And so if you're really struggling with this concept of giving, know that we just have something for you here this morning. You're, you're welcome to participate, but um, ultimately we want something for you. Uh, the second thing, and what, what that is, we want you to be in a place where you're free from frustration of finances, where you're living in the joy uh, of God's grace. But here's the other thing I want you to hear. Especially if you're here this morning and you haven't heard a word I said as soon as you saw that we're talking about finances because you have such, such deep hurts. First of all, if someone hurt you in the name of Christ by, by teaching incorrectly on finances, I apologize. Let that be on me. Let me apologize on behalf of that person, whoever it was, that you were led astray and away from proper understanding of God's heart towards finances. But maybe you just went through some difficult things and you have all kinds of baggage. If you're still working through that, first of all, this is an okay place to do that. We all come in with our baggage. That's why we celebrate Jesus, because we all know that we need him, right? But here's what I want you to know. If you're really struggling with this concept of money, you are welcome in this place. You are loved in this place, even if you never give a dime. Even if you've been here for a long time and have never given, you are still welcome in this place. Do I think that you're missing out on a piece of what God has for you? I do. And that's why we're going through this series. But know that even if you don't come to a place of ever giving a dime, you are still loved and you are still welcome in this place. And you're still welcome into fellowship. I invite you to join us under the tent and celebrate with grilled pound cake and, and berries and whipped cream and be in fellowship together. And I pray that God would move in our hearts till we come to a place where we're begging to be able to participate in his work and what he's doing in this church and surrounding churches and in our communities. Let's pray. Father God, you are an amazing God. We thank you so much that you are enough, that you meet all of our needs, Father God. I know even as I say that, that I'm, I'm challenged in my own heart on that. One, do I, do I fully understand that? Have I, have I seen that in my life in every capacity? Father, reveal that to us. Help us to see how you are our worth. You are our beauty. You are our value. You are our provision. You are our Lord and our Savior, Father. Help us understand that more each day, especially in this season of walking through this series. Then help us to live in that truth, Father God, of knowing that you are enough. That there's no more that we need that you are sufficient, that you are our all in all. And from that place, Father, motivate us to give, to be generous, and fill us with your joy that's only found in you. We love you, Father. Pray us all in your name. Amen.